All right, we're in Life to Live, our series of talks in Ephesians. You'll be glad to know that if you watched uh, any of those videos from during the week, it's going to be slightly lighter, not quite as heavy and dense. Hope you use the pause button a lot if you watch those videos. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can check them out. Um, it's just a couple of videos we've put up about gender and eldership to help us to understand where are we at as a church um, with those things, um, those issues. So go check them out on our YouTube channel. And what we're going to find out this, uh, this morning, that is such a bad habit. How many times? How many times are we going to do morning? This afternoon, uh, we are talking, uh, we're in Ephesians 3, and I want to just, I want us to just see one thing. We're calling this God's, uh, God is the way, this talk. And there's one thing I'd want us to come away with. It's this, when you go God's ways, when you truly go God's ways, you delight in being bound to them, chained to them. So before I do, though, I have to do something really practical, and I'm really sorry to have to do this. But it's really important that we stick to all the legislation so that people feel really safe when they come. So just a reminder that unless you have a medical reason, keep on your masks. I know some of you do have medical reasons, so don't feel obliged to put it on if you do have a medical reason. if you're not part of the same household, as in you're not living together right now, I'm afraid you're going to have to move apart and find a spot with tape um, to sit. So the tape is the target, and then the household kind of sits around that. That's the idea. I know it's awkward um, and difficult and not how we would want to do things. We'd, in fact, we'd want it to be the opposite. We'd want it to be family and we're close and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's difficult, but Thank you so much for doing that. Really appreciate that. All right. We're going to see four things as we see what it is to be bound to God's ways and delight in them. We're going to see that in Ephesians 3, we are bound to God. We're bound for good. We're bound by grace and we're bound together. So before I read the text, let me pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are a God who cares, who loves us, whose wonderful message, the truth of the gospel, the life that you bring through what you have done for us, so clearly displayed here in the Bible, transforms lives. It's transforming lives today. We are seeing people have their lives changed and grow and know you more, and it's such a privilege. And thank you, God, for the people who out there across Glasgow who are, who are seeing there's, more, there's just so much more to life than the way it's been lived previously, maybe in their lives and in other people's lives around them, in community, in Glasgow. And so, Lord, we pray, come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Do things to ordinary people like us that are miraculous, extraordinary that change lives, that draw people into your presence, that finds people going from a state of darkness into glorious light, reborn. Come, Lord Jesus, do those things, we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians 3, and we're going from verse 1 through to verse 6. So if you've got a Bible... I'd love it if you could follow along. It says, For this reason I, Paul, 
the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promises Christ. So Paul begins verse 1, for this reason. Well, for what reason, Paul? What's your reason? What are you saying? Well, it's everything that we've just seen uh, before this moment, isn't it? It's, it's everything as we look back into chapters 1 and 2. It's everything that we saw Lewis preach on last week. And one of the things I loved about the way that Lewis preached last week was, was these three ABC, these little ABC, these three little things just to remember. So what, what does it mean to be in the gospel? What does it mean to be in Christ? And he said, it's about adoption, it's about belonging, and it's about calling, adopted by God to be his beloved sons and daughters. The God of the universe, the one who has made all things, the, the one who has caused the cosmos to come into existence, he has adopted us through Christ. He sees us as his son, sons and daughters of the Most High God. We belong. We're fellow citizens. We are fellow citizens in the kingdom of God. Not some poxy nation. Not one that's politics are up and down and all over the place. But the kingdom of God. We belong as citizens. In the kingdom of God. And we belong together. And so we look left and right and we see family. We see people who are also loved and adored by God who sit around the table with us. And we're called. We're called to join the mission of God. We join with the kingdom of God as it bursts out by the power of the Holy Spirit and moves across the nations. We look back to Pentecost and we, we see that moment where the, the church is born, where Jesus pours out his spirit after ascending on high and the church is, is, transfor- is, is born and the people are transformed in an instant. And then we see people coming and being saved and knowing God and coming into relationship with him. And then as the church is persecuted, we saw that there's this moment where it goes out across Asia Minor and beyond into the nations and it's been going out into the nation so that today there are billions of people who would call themselves followers of Jesus. We're a part of that. And we're called to join to that mission. Now, Paul is very familiar with what it's like to be in prison. But in verse 1, he's not saying he is in the literal prison. I think we could read that and think, oh yeah, Paul's in prison all the time. He's talking about how he's in prison. No, no, that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. This isn't persecution this time. He's saying, I'm a prisoner. Sorry, he's not saying I'm a prisoner for Jesus this time. He's, a, he's saying, I'm a prisoner to Jesus. 
I'm imprisoned to Jesus. Paul is bound up in the ways of God. He's chained to God's ways. What? I thought you guys preached freedom. I thought, I thought this was Glasgow Grace. I thought this was about freedom. What? I, I thought we were free in Christ. Well, the human condition is to think that you are free when you're calling the shots. But in fact, the opposite is true. Because what the Bible tells us is that sin traps us. When we go our own way, when we choose our own destiny, we actually end up more chained up, more imprisoned than we could ever be if we were chained to Christ. In fact, the most freeing place you can be on the whole planet is to be chained to the ways of God, to be bound to Jesus. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. See that? It was ruled by sin. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Without Jesus, we think we need to achieve this, do that, be like them, have that, have them. Then I'll be content. Left to ourselves, though, we trap ourselves with our own freedom. Pastor and author Tim Keller, he said this in his book, The Art of Self-Forgetfulness. I even just love that title, The Art of Self-Forgetfulness. The atheists might say that they get their self-image from being a good person. They are a good person, and they hope that eventually they will get a verdict that confirms that they are a good person. Performance leads to the verdict. For the Buddhist, too, performance leads to the verdict. If you are a Muslim, performance leads to the verdict. All this means that every day you are in the courtroom. Every day you are on trial. That is the problem. But Paul is saying, in Christianity, the verdict leads to performance. In other words, you're in Christ. You're hidden in him. He is the one who's done the work. And so, therefore, you are free. You've done nothing. Jesus has done it all. And now you are free. Since Adam and Eve were deceived in the garden, their pride fooled them. Pride has been fooling us into thinking that this is all about our own free choices that brings lasting freedom. When, in fact, we will never be content in self until we deny self and take on an identity that is already one for us in Jesus. We've got to get this, guys. It's not about us. You make it about you, you'll be miserable. You make it about Jesus, you'll find delight, joy, freedom. Want to know the Apostle Paul's contentment to the point that he would say to live as Christ and to die as gain? Want to know that kind of freedom? Replace your self-focus with Jesus. Enter into relationship with God. Talk with him. Wait on him. Listen to him. Trust him. Open his word. Allow yourself to be captivated by his glory and love. To be free and content 
is to forget self and join the ways of God. So we're bound to God in the gospel. But we're also bound for good. So the more that we are bound to God and his ways, the more that we will find that that binds us to doing good. Paul is bound up in the ways of Jesus, which will bring good to these Gentile believers in Ephesus. That's what he's saying. So he says, I'm a prisoner of Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. So he's imprisoned to Jesus. He's chained to Jesus. He's bound to him. And in being bound to Jesus, he is good to the Gentiles because he's going the ways of Jesus, saying the words of Jesus to that people so that they would know the goodness of God too. See how it works? There's an inextricable link between being bound to the ways of God and being used for good. Jesus is good. Everything about him is the benevolence of God on display, personified, a person who adores you. Everything about Jesus is wonderful. And he brings exceeding goodness to every single life that he touches. And so, when we are joined to the ways of Jesus, there is a blessing that increasingly breaks out around us as we learn his ways, as we learn the ways of God. So if you want to be all about God's glory and Glasgow's good, or the, the little line that we always say, if you truly want to be good to people around you, and I'm talking lasting goodness, goodness that's going to make change, it's really going to have genuine change in people's lives, learn the ways of God, go his ways. I think we often think of our faith growing to only really have a personal impact. Do you feel that? Sometimes in the way that we talk, sometimes it kind of seeps into our conversation that there's a, a sense that my faith growing means I'll be more content. I'll, I'll be more at peace. I'll be this. I'll be that. But actually, what Paul's saying here is, no, no, like, the more that that you grow in your faith, the more you'll be a blessing. The more that, you, more that you'll be fruitful, to use a biblical word. The more that the people around you will be touched by God. All these things are true. When you do grow in your faith, you do become more content. You do become more peaceful. All these things. But the emphasis in the Bible is actually the blessing you bring to people around you. John Wesley, the great 18th century English pastor and evangelist, he said this, there is no such thing as solitary Christianity in the Bible. Everything we do affects other people. Everything we say, everything we think, even the secret thoughts, they affect other people. Because what other thoughts would you be having if you weren't having those secret thoughts? What if those secret thoughts were for Christ, for his glory? captivated by him, how would that change you and how would that change the way that you live and do things? If we are willing to be led by Jesus in all his ways, we will be like an overflowing stream. And that's what Jesus promised, isn't it? When he stood up at the Feast of Tabernacles and he talked about the Holy Spirit coming, he talked about the Holy Spirit as streams of living water that would pour, run out of us. If we want to be that, 
We need to surrender to the ways of the Spirit. Become people who are willing to lay down our own wants and desires for the wants and desires of God. Jesus does much more to a life that he touches than bring inner peace. He uses them to spread life where there is death. As a church, the more that we can surrender together to our own wants and desires and exchange them for God's wants and desires, the more we will bless the city in mighty ways from the, the small things, like you've noticed someone who just needs an arm around them, who, who needs a chat, who needs a coffee, or you get the opportunity to tell them the gospel and they, they come to faith or there's a miracle. These things happen as we surrender our ways to God's ways. Edward Nelson was born to a French mother and an American father, and he grew up in the States. He came to know Jesus in his teens, and then he, he sort of began pursuing ministry as an Anglican minister, and he didn't really know where he wanted to go. He, just, he knew that he was called to to be a pastor in, in some way, but he didn't know what that would look like. He was studying theology in Oxford, and there was a moment where he just knew, I'm supposed to go to France. I'm going to go to the secular French, notoriously hard to reach with the gospel. And as soon as he could, he moved to Paris. And after a while, he planted a church with a bunch of other people. And he was just committed to his Parisian community. Every morning he'd get up and he'd pray around the area that he was in, praying for the people, praying that God would come and break in, praying that God would come and reveal himself to these people that many had written off. Ah, secular Parisians, they'll never accept the gospel. He didn't believe it. He started to see lots of fruit. Churches born out of his church he was captivated by Jesus, and he wanted to give his all to the calling on his life. And then one of his, uh, one of his uh, other Anglican ministers in Paris described him like this. He said, here is Edward, the urgency of missions for the sake of the God who he loved the most. He was bound for the good of Parisians, not bound to the romance of life in Paris, Sounds pretty cool just to live in Paris, doesn't it? Oh, I could be a minister and sip coffee in Paris. <laughs> no, no, he's like, he was going for it for Jesus in Paris. He knew the desperate need and he gave his life to it. We need to know that the darkness in people who many have given up on can be extinguished in a moment with the blazing light of God. That's what he was committed to and he believed in. And he saw fruit in his life. Do we believe that for Glasgow? Do you look around in Glasgow and think, God could break into that person's life in an instance and transform them? Think of the people maybe in your family. Think of the people who live around you, who you see at the school gate, who you see in your sports teams, and you think, oh, man, they're never going to come to Jesus. They're just, they're just so far from that. I don't even know how to tell them that I'm a Christian. We've got to believe God for what he can do. 
got to be more like Edward, more like Paul. Edward had an accident in the Alps while he was out walking last week, only 45, and he died. Taken home to be with God. His family, his community, his gospel believe the other gospel-believing churches in Paris, and all those that he brought the love of God to in his community, these people are in mourning. But he was convinced, totally convinced, of what Paul was convinced about. The gospel that bound him to God and for good. And I'm convinced he's with Jesus. I have the joy of knowing lots of people like that. Through the advanced movement we're a part of, the wider movement we're a part of, New Frontiers, through other uh, people that I've met along the way who love Jesus, who are doing extraordinary things in different places. People in Africa, people in Wales, people in London like we saw, people in Cornwall, people in Ireland. And my prayer is that we would see hundreds and hundreds of people like that come through this church. My prayer is that we would be a church with many who come and get a call like Edward got, and they just say, you know what, there's a people group over here, and I just need to go. I'm compelled to, be, to go because I'm, I'm so captivated by Jesus, and I see that there's a need, and I'm going. And that we get to pray for them, lay hands on them, send them out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And see them do extraordinary things, not by their power, by the power of God. My prayer is that in Glasgow we'd see grace communities multiply. Why? Because people are captivated by Jesus and they start telling their friends. They start witnessing and praying for people and getting alongside people and simply just loving people. And that we'd see a multiplication across the city. A multiplication across Scotland, into Europe, that people would have dreams about going to places like Copenhagen and Gothenburg and Moscow and just go. People obsessed with living the ways of God. In verse 2, Paul reminds the Ephesians that this is uh, his imprisonment, this imprisonment to God's ways, to join with God's desires is for them, the Gentiles. All of us in this room have been called to Glasgow for God's glory and Glasgow's good. Paul was called to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, for God's glory and the Gentiles' good. Being imprisoned to Christ or enslaved to him, as Paul describes it elsewhere, meant that Paul could hear the voice of God and respond to live out the purpose that God really had for him. I sometimes wonder, am I really listening to what God wants for us, no matter what? Or are we only listening out for what God wants for us when it suits us? I think we need to regularly ask, ask ourselves, am I truly bound to the ways of God? Or are there areas where I'm just not willing to hear it. I've chosen my way, the way I've decided to do things, what I believe in, and so God can have all this bit, but not this bit. 
I think if we want to be used with great power, we need to be truly surrendered. Are you willing to be imprisoned to Jesus so you can be let loose in the purposes of his kingdom? Be bound for good. And we're bound by grace. The irony of these chains is that they bring you more freedom than you could ever know. (laughs) Paul doesn't describe his calling to the Gentiles as some kind of burden, but, but grace. Do you see that? A free gift from God. He he sees this as a privilege. Paul doesn't see this as something that's kind of annoying. Oh, I've got to go and tell them about Jesus. Oh, do I have to? He sees it as a gift, a privilege. I get to join in the mission of God. Sometimes I think we can view the sacrifice involved in God's calling as a task that needs to be begrudgingly fulfilled. No, no, no. We've missed the glory of our calling when we think like that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, as the author of the Hebrews says, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Know the pure joy of being gifted your calling to love that annoying colleague. <laughs> the one that nicks your donuts. Or pre-lockdown they did. Don't get to do that now, do they? That irritable person in your grace community. That person who laughs at you for your faith. Show them Jesus out of the joy of knowing that God has given you a gift. A gift to partner in his mission to reach these people with love, the same love that he has loved you with. There is no greater honor in all the universe than to be bound to the ways of God, to be bound to his kingdom, to go the ways of God and be on mission with God. We are bound by grace. God's way is the best way. He loves us and he knows us inside out. Paul has learned to trust God even when it doesn't look too promising. (laughs) In shipwrecks instead of yachts, I've received a gift. In disagreements and rejection, instead of popularity, I've received a gift. In prisons instead of mansions, I've received a gift. The Apostle Paul has learned that God can be trusted no matter what, even in death. What kind of hope is this? <laughs> Paul can even say, oh, to, to live is, is Christ, to, to die is gain. Who can say that sort of thing? I mean it. God has not bound you to his ways to fulfill your dreams, and that is good for you. God's grace to you is that you get to take part in something infinitely more valuable than what you could dream of otherwise. It's about joining the purposes purposes of God as a gift to be stewarded wisely until we are taken home. The freedom 
we find by being imprisoned to the ways of God does not mean, let me be clear, that we avoid the difficult things in a broken world. It means that in those things we are free. For no one can take away from you the joy of living for God and that you are eternally secure in him. Loved by him, adored by him, will be taken home by him. No one can take that away from Edward. And now he's home. No one and no circumstance can take that away from you. To be bound to God for good is to be bound by grace. God is a giving God. It's all too easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Somehow being bound to God's ways and his mission becomes a burden to you. Most of you know that uh, we've been running the Alpha course. And um, we're hopefully going to run, we will actually run, uh, the Alpha, Alpha course again this autumn. And the last time we ran it was in January. Now, we, Lindsay and I had uh, just had Finley. Finley, well, I hadn't. I can't take any credit for that. <laughs> Better be careful. It's getting recorded. Um, Finley had been born uh, New Year's Eve, and I think we began the Alpha course about a month after that. So I hadn't been at the rugby club for a couple of months. I hadn't really seen that many people. It was like the chaos of family life when you've got a toddler and a newborn. Um, it's beautiful, but it's chaotic. And I think, if we're honest, parents, it's probably in that season, slightly more chaotic than beautiful, right? Um, so we're in that season. But I'm starting to feel this immense guilt because I've not invited anyone to Alpha. I'm the pastor. I'm the church planter. I'm supposed to be leading the way in this stuff. I haven't invited a soul. So I start to feel really heavy about the whole thing. It's it's terrible. I'm such a terrible Christian. How could I be leading a church? I can't even do that. And it goes on and it goes on. It gets worse and it gets worse. I'm just feeling like, ugh, just heavy. I'm thinking, who can I invite? Just, I'm, I'm going to just invite the postman. Find someone to invite. And in the end, of course, I didn't invite anyone. And I think one of the reasons I didn't invite anyone because, is because I was doing that out of my own strength. I'm trying to carry this. It becomes more and more of a burden. And, and it's an easy, it seems like a really simple thing to do, but, but when you're burdened by something like that, it just becomes so heavy, and you're like, ah. And you, you feel like you can barely move, never mind open your mouth to ask someone. That's not the grace of God. That's not, the, that's not the joy of joining with the mission of God. That's not the privilege of being a, a, someone who is realizing that Jesus has called them to be on mission with him, side by side, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. I remember Jesus. I remembered who I was. Jesus said, a bruised reed I will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What do you mean by that? Well, have you ever felt like a reed that's broken and bruised? 
so close to the end of itself that it's, that it's bent over. <laughs> ever felt like that? Withering? Ever felt like a candle right at the end of its wick? Almost ready to, to burn out, just like, oh, is that just me? When we feel as though we are failing, do not look to Jesus and think, I've failed you, I give up. Instead, turn to Jesus and hear what he says to you. I love you. I'm still with you. I'm for you. Go again. He does not snuff us out in frustration. He restores our flame with his love. He does not break us off where we are bruised. He straightens us out and restores us to health. God is a God who gives. Do you feel burdened? Are you struggling and weak? Does life just feel overwhelming? Turn to the victory of Jesus over you. Don't self-pity. Don't just look in, look up. Look at what he's done. Realize he's joined you to the mission of God. We'd never done anything in the first place to earn anything that we do in the kingdom of God anyway. Don't forget it. And remember that by his grace, you're joined to it. Even maybe especially after you fail. And last, we're bound together. But the way that we see this being bound together idea is in a mystery, the mystery that Paul is talking about here. When we read from Genesis 1 and 2, we get this glorious picture of God's design for humanity, don't we? He created Adam and Eve to be life-giving, joy-filled, worshipping people who are part of a community that multiplies and goes out across the earth and blesses as they go. He would be their gods, and they would be his people. The fall, however, shattered their relationship. Death and sin reigned instead of life and obedience. But out of the wilderness, Abraham and his wife Sarah, old fogies, ancient nobodies from a strange land called the Ur of the Chaldeans, they are called to be a blessing, to birth a nation and be a blessing to the nations. Israel were God's people set apart with God's law to be different from the godless nations around them, to be a holy nation, to be a holy priesthood. God placed his presence among them in the tabernacle and in the temple, and then with priests and sacrifices, they dealt with the sins that kept them separate from God. He even gave them a king to rule them. A king who came from the branch of David, who had these prophetic promises in David, this wonderful branch, and his father, the Jesse, the st- out of the stump of Jesse would come, fruitfulness would come, buds. But despite the prophetic hope, it was all too much for them. 
For the people, their kings, their priests, even their sacrifices were only symbolic acts of faith. And the land, even the land that they were promised was never really all that it should be. If Israel was to be put on trial, they would have been found guilty for not keeping the covenant with God again, 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 again. But then came along someone who was born with, with royal blood <laughs> in the royal city of David, who preached about a new and better kingdom, much better than the land, who claimed to forgive sins, who fulfilled the law through a sinless life, who called himself the vine where branches could find life. He was put on trial and sentenced to death. Here was the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. Even Pontius Pilate could not find any fault in him. And when he died, the temple curtain dividing the people from God was torn into. The presence of God was getting ready to break out. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that life had defeated death. And then the church was born on the day of Pentecost after Jesus had ascended and he poured out the Holy Spirit and the presence of God was with all people and now there is a holy priesthood and any of us can join with it. There is a new nation. There is a kingdom advancing. We are being called by the king himself to join with it. In the book of Revelation, John saw in his vision in a prison cell in Patmos a group of 144,000, a symbolic num number made up of the 12 tribes of Israel in Revelation 7. If you read it carefully, a few verses later, or just a couple of verses later, he looked again. Didn't just see 144,000. He discovered that the same group was an innumerable crowd from every tribe and nation. This was always God's plan. That we, Jews and Gentiles, people from all different backgrounds, from every nation, from every tribe, would become one in Christ. Jesus, the great high priest. Jesus, the one who is the Lamb of God to take away all the sins of the world. The one who has fulfilled the law. The one who could not be found guilty but yet was slaughtered on our behalf. He took on our pain and our suffering. He died in our place so that we could be free from sin and joined to the mission of God, this mission of God that's all about that message that people need to know in this city, that they can be free from the sin that traps them and join with Jesus and be with him now and forever. In Christ, we are all one, and everyone's invited. This is a mystery. Jesus has not only come as the king of the Jews, the savior of a nation set apart for God to establish a new kingdom and a new nation, one that consists of all people groups, one that we can constantly invite people into. What a mission we've been called to. We are bound to God, that is such good news. Be bound to God. Don't be convinced that somehow it's about your own self-authority. Be bound to the authority of God. We're bound for good. The more we're bound to his ways, the more likely it is, in fact, the more we will be used for good. 
We're bound by grace. This is a gift to you to join in his ways. It's not a heavy burden. And we're bound together. Every one of us, no matter what our background, who we are, where we've come from, Jesus has joined us together as a much better kingdom, a better nation than any other.